back to another episode of FinTech Walkabout. I'm Will, uh, where we're deep diving into interesting people within the realms of open banking and their stories. Uh, joined today by a global giant in the world of uh, software as a service, Ryan Joyce, the head of partnerships for UK and Ireland, right, uh, from Salesforce. So it'd be great to just get a quick intro from yourself. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Will. And uh, I'm not a global giant, but, but, but Salesforce <laughs> um, certainly is when it comes to software. Uh, and cloud computing. But yeah, I head up the fintech industry at Salesforce in the UK. I've uh, been with the company for about eight years. It's, uh, it's changed a lot during that time. I remember walking in day one, 2014, and there was about 100 people in the UK and we had a single floor in the office. And now I think we're in excess of like 3,000 employees. And we've got this lovely 10 floor office near, t near Liverpool Street. So um, yeah, uh, most of my career spent in um, the financial services space and working for technology companies. I was at IBM previously, yeah. and um, uh, it's been a, it's been a great journey. So yeah. You moved into financial services sales, right? At IBM. That's kind of, right. What was that transition like, and what was the transition like between IBM moving into Salesforce? Yeah, obviously. so That's I was I was um, uh, a year or so off of the graduate scheme at IBM. And uh, got you know land, landed the role in the financial services team. Was super excited. They were the clients that spent the most with IBM. And about three months in, we had the global financial crash. Mm. So um, I remember I remember being at a customer breakfast uh, that I was hosting at, um, uh, and it was kind of quarter to eight in the morning, and still nobody had arrived. And eventually, we had th we had three people arrive out of the the twelve that was scheduled and that was back in the day before smartphones mm -hmm. and um, clearly the markets were tanking and no one had time for a breakfast meeting with IBM. <laughs> yeah, so, surprise, surprise. yeah, so I did that and then um, I was with IBM for about seven years and uh, yeah, it was a big shift going to, to Salesforce because IBM was, was really good at um, providing infrastructure to the world's largest companies and, 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 and certainly the banks um, that they could run themselves, data centers and um, hiring sort of big teams of people to write code and, and manage systems and um, Salesforce kind of does all that for you, obviously. Um, and uh, it's a very different level of conversation. You're talking to business leaders about how they can transform their business. You're not really talking about the underlying technology or the product so much. It feels like more of a partnerships endeavor than it is a sales one like it was at IBM. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. We, look, we have really strong values as a business, uh, trust, customer success, innovation, equality, and sustainability are our five uh, main values. And, um, and they're, they're, highly, you know, they're highly visible and talked about and, and, and lived kind of every day. And so you know, that's the mentality when you go and see a client. It's like, how do I build a deep relationship based on trust? How do we make this a multi-year partnership? How do we um, have skin in the game and guarantee customer success? Um, and help them kind of rapidly transform their business. So I, I really love that, that aspect of it. That requires being uh, on top of the trends, so to say. Um, so we are, I mean, this podcast is fully focused on you know, individuals, the businesses they work for, and kind of what's happening in the world is specifically of open banking. Um, so kind of what overarching trends are you talking about with your partners, your clients at the moment at Salesforce? Yeah, I think, I think right now it's all about it's all about the macro picture. I think macro is um, dictating everything. So we've obviously, we're out the back of the pandemic. And I think last year there was a real wave of optimism and uh, particularly in the FinTech space, a real uh, wave of investment through 
you know, record record year um, in terms of what VCs invested in fintech last mm -hmm. year. And uh, I think we're entering a very different regime now in, in, in 2022. It's, um, uh, you know, inflation has, uh, is, is, is raging and uh, the central banks need to get that under control with, um, with higher interest rates. And that will probably tip the global economy into some form of downturn or recession. Um, and I, so I think from, you know, the mentality of a fintech founder or CEO right now, um, I think last year it was all about how do we get ready for IPO? How do we use this money effectively to become more global, launch more products, hire lots of people, mm. maybe diversify into different customer segments? And now I think it's a bit more, we still want to do all of those things, but how do we focus on our core business, our core proposition? How do we get, uh, build deeper relationships with our customers and get more out? get more out of that um, and I think that's um, I think that's I think that's throwing up some um, you know some interesting uh, predicaments yeah. for, for, some, for some companies right now <clears throat> well we're looking at obviously open banking specifically here but things like crypto uh, and beyond as well as well is, is there any, you mentioned the pandemic actually is there anything yeah. that's kind of surprised you coming out the back of the pandemic obviously we're now hitting this cost of living crisis that you mentioned but yeah we had that kind of window in between where valuations are skyrocketing and people are raising hundreds of millions for pre-seed and seed businesses and fintech space especially has been a kind of microcosm of probably overinflated valuations but exciting opportunities so is there anything in that that you've said like hmm didn't expect that that's interesting and, and yeah kind of double down on it so I'm gonna try, yeah i'm gonna try and be quite balanced here because i think that um I don't know if we've seen that much innovation in the last year or so. Mm. Um, I think that um, I, I don't, I don't, I've observed a few things. I think, like, I think there's, there's. We talked a second ago about the money raised and and, and sort of the larger ambition of, for for a number of these fintechs. But I think what we've seen is we've on the positive side, real progress around open banking, and I think that is really maturing now, and it's opening up all sorts of new opportunities. And we'll talk about that later. Um, the only other sort of big thing that was pervasive last year was um, probably everybody rushing towards BNPL. Mm. Um, it was, it was, there was a FOMO, if you like. Everybody had to have a, a BNPL proposition overnight. And I think that's certainly good for fintech because, um, you know, credit can be easily monetized and you can make a lot of money out of it. And that will help build more sustainable business model for, for a number of fintechs. Um, I believe over $120 billion um, dollars was uh, sort of paid for or funded through BNPL last year. And about three quarters of BNPL consumers um, do make late payments, which, mm. is, which is obviously how it's monetized. So yet to see whether BNPL has been good for the consumer. And now we're going into a very different kind of regime with a cost of living crisis. Um, I, wonder how, I wonder how that plays out. And I think, mm. I think regulation is needed. And uh, I think that was the sort of big move last year. Um, and other than that, I would say that maybe some of the um, existing sort of banking players probably caught up a little bit. Yeah. Totally anecdotal, but, you know, I, I obviously have accounts with a number of different providers, but um, using the HSBC app recently, and I think they've really, you know, made a lot of improvement in the last 24 months. It feels yeah. very fintech. It feels very modern. It's very easy. We had the head of open banking from TSB on, and obviously we work with them, so 
be nice to plug them anyway. But <laughs> they've gone through this huge digital transformation, right? They've said, mm. okay, how do we leverage what we're good at, which is the credit cards, the loans, mortgages, financial products, and start to bring in or build an ecosystem around all the other kind of day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year touch points that, that we could have as consumers. And BNPL has obviously been a part of that. But we haven't seen anyone... I haven't seen any of the big banks, especially, move in to BNPL explicitly. Do you think they have an obligation to kind of help their consumer manage those things? Um, I think it's a great question. I'm going to answer it slightly differently. I think... Um, Very political, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that the banks and the fintechs now have an obligation to help um, their customers throughout the cost of living crisis and, and this potential recession. And, um, you know, that means... Uh, really sort of leaning in on financial inclusion, um, really helping those that are vulnerable, being able to offer more choice in terms of products, uh, being able to uh, provide more education to help people manage their finance, be more inventive around how you do risk management and credit scoring, um, t- to provide you know more, uh, more, more money to people at, mm-hmm. in their time of need. So I think BMPL is, is one option as part of that. Um, and whether a bank wants to really double down on that or, or use kind of a broader suite of products, I, d- I don't think it matters so much. I think it's more about really kind of focusing on the, on the, on the consumer right now and helping them through what's going to be a really difficult year or two. Because it's kind of towing that line of how bespoke can you get versus uh, a product or service that's wide-ranging enough to make it, you know, build a business case out of it for a financial institution, right? Mm. So we've seen this huge transition from... It's a question we try and ask everyone, um, the, let's say, data, screen scraping or consent or user data sharing uh, into open banking. Kind of how has that influenced Salesforce and your kind of sales and partnerships conversation? Yeah, great, um, great question. So uh, if I take a small step back just to uh, sort of frame what, what Salesforce is and what, how companies use it. So our, our mission as a company is to help um, companies connect better with their customers and so we've built this platform um, both through you know organic uh, development but also acquiring lots of businesses over the last mm-hmm. 23 years that um, allows a company to manage the customer journey end-to-end and uh, build a single source of truth around a customer and so um, what that means is that you can provide a great employee experience internally because they can see all their customer data and they're given the tools to be productive in terms of how they service that, that customer. Um, and then also externally, we provide an engagement layer on web and on, on, on mobile. And so, um, you know, if I think about some of the primary use cases for open banking so far, it's, it's, it's around onboarding, it's around asset aggregation, um, it's around um, sort of credit, you know, uh, Im- improving like credit worthiness and affordability mm. calculations and decisioning. And then obviously there's a whole set of use cases around, around payments validation and things like that. So, we're, you know, we're a platform um, and, you know, the data that is exposed through open banking can then be brought in to augment the data that Salesforce has already uh, collected around customers. And then um, that data can also be plugged into the front end experience to streamline an onboarding 
uh, journey or yep. streamline a decision around applying for a loan or applying for a financial product yep. or something like that. So what does that actual approach look like for you guys? Because I mean, there's so many, there are so many moving parts. Yeah. And I mean, at its most basic, right? You've got your account information services, your payment services. Has there been a, I don't know, a, a strategy to build a foundation or to say we need to check these parts off before we can start to look at what else open banking can do? What's the, yeah. what's the approach look like? So we're, um, w one of our fundamental principles is that we are an open platform. Um, we've, we've invested a lot in open APIs um, yeah, over the last 23 years and we've sort of pi pioneered in that respect. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we've acquired uh, a number of companies in the last five years that are heavily focused on the data transformation space, so Tableau for analytics and MuleSoft for uh, API management and um, building APIs, etc. And so I get we leave it to our customers, whether they're a bank or a fintech, to figure out like how do they want to use our platform um, to really, um, uh, you know, kind of leverage open banking, but. Um, you know, HSBC, and we talked about their mobile app a second ago, they've used the MuleSoft technology to create all of the open APIs around their mobile banking experience. That's why it was so and, good. And, and to, be, to, be, to become <laughs> compliant with open banking itself, right? And, uh, um, and, and, you know, in addition, you know, MuleSoft have built a partnership with Plaid. So if MuleSoft is the chosen technology to, be, to, to, to manage APIs enterprise-wide with an organization, you can still go to the exchange and grab any of the um, open banking APIs or services that Plaid have created and still manage that seamlessly. So we're, we're just trying to participate in the ecosystem and continue to give all mm. our, our clients as much choice and flexibility as possible. So you mentioned HSBC, mentioned Plaid, who are obviously continuing to grow by the looks of it. Are there any kind of use cases that you're like, wow, that they've really knocked out of the park. I don't want to do the other side because it's just mean and uh, you probably won't be allowed to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> are there any kind of underlying values in those organizations that you've seen do particularly well that, you know, that you can kind of identify similar trends across? Yeah, if, if I'm looking for best in class around open banking, um, I think we have to look at China. Uh, I, you know, generally, I think in Asia, they seem to be ahead um, than the Western world um, in, in a number of areas. And I think there was a, there's a really good use case with my bank, which is um, part of Amp Financial and Group. And they're effectively an alternative lender to um, small, medium businesses. But um, they refer to their model as the 310 model. So you can complete an application in three minutes. Mm. Um, they can process that application and return a decision in roughly one second. And there's zero human involvement. And they're collecting 1,500 data points, um, partly through what data is input online from the applicant, but also using open banking. And they've lent over... 500 the equivalent of 500 billion dollars to small medium businesses all across china and their default rates less than one percent which is pretty good for for kind of micro loans and things so um you know i i, I kind of look at that and i think wow we've not really seen anything like that in the west yet but that that to me is um pretty inspirational can. i mean we had so we had uh chairman of uk finance in hmm. i think one of the only people on the podcast to say um 
we'll ask the question at the end, but how do you think open banking's gone? And he kind of sat there and said, well, we spent a lot of money on it. Where could we have spent that money better? And then to, to the point you just made, started talking about, can we put some grit in the system to almost build in some friction to, uh, well, to, to, to get around risk and fraud and start to be a little bit more um, hands-on, I suppose, in, in what we're doing, as opposed to automating it through the system without any human interaction. We, I was a little bit blown away by that, hearing that. So do, you, do you think we, as the UK, or would the FCA have the kind of capacity to do that? As quickly, or? yeah, I think it's, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, like part of the reason that China's ahead is that it was totally unregulated for years, right? Yeah. So they basically just let um, Alibaba and have at it, and and yeah, and, and like the WeChat super app that just crack on and build what you want, guys. Um, and now, over the last eighteen months, I think they you, you started to see them put more regulation in place. I think that. Um, culturally, we're all we're almost we're more conservative and reserved anyway. Yeah. Um, I think there are some huge positives around that because we've got you know standards about OBIE, we've got open banking excellence, we've got um, the FCA heavily involved, and they provide you know sandbox and investment for new entrepreneurs. And so I think we'll um, we might we might uh, our pace might be a little bit steadier. But um, I think ultimately, like that, that's that's going to um, that's going to protect everybody. Mm. And uh, I think we are starting to see the volume, and we are starting to see real innovation. Um, great that you know we went live with VRP and, and sweeping this year, and um, some of them have. <laughs> <laughs> and there's more coming, right? There's yeah. there's some interesting stuff that I was re- you know <clears throat> I'm hearing about around uh, you know, how tax payments are managed and things like that. So. It's coming, it's coming. Yeah, I think um, this is a question I was going to ask you later, but I'll ask it now anyway. How do you see kind of what's happened in open banking being reflected across other industries? Or, um, you know, Salesforce obviously spans far wider than just financial services and fintech. Is that something that you guys could be involved with or Salesforce as an organization could be involved with? And almost you know, emulating what's happened in open banking across utilities, telcos, insurance products, and so on. Because um, to your point, right, the, let's say the East was left to kind of go it alone and have at it from what is uh, kind of ironically a very capitalistic outlook. Um, but that's not happening here. I mean, we're not, yeah. you know, what, what's the incentive for a Sky or a, an Aviva to open up their, pers- their consumer data to the world? What's the... Is there an approach there? Is that something that you guys are looking at, or kind of definitely looking at it? I think this whole march towards open data is going to be really interesting, yeah. and it does feel like the financial services industry is kind of ahead of the game there. It's going to be pushed, isn't it? Yeah, so. I, and I, but I think there's, you know, I think there's really interesting crossover because, um, you know, the big thing. I mean, look, this is squarely the space that you're occupying, right? But you're helping, um, you know, you're helping your customers do switching across multiple products, but that, you know, bleeds into the energy and the utility space and, and, and obviously financial services as well. So I think it's, um, I think it's only a matter of time before, um, you know, that, that data is made more available. Um, I also think that open data is, um, I think for, for, from, if we're gonna kind of tackle climate change, mm then you know 
providing more data around how much uh, energy con uh, businesses are consuming and like where that has been sourced and all of that stuff's going to be incredibly important as we start to benchmark companies and kind of look more closely at um, at carbon emissions and things like that. So look, I don't have a good answer for you. It's definitely we're definitely like what you know, watching out to see what happens. Yeah. The beauty is that we have an open platform. Um, we can we help companies become agile as regulation changes and as um, uh, and as they need to collect more data about customers and do productive things with it. So yeah. we're kind of well well positioned there and we're kind of waiting to see. Yeah, that's actually where um, kind of where AppTap started is trying to help people understand their carbon footprint from open banking expenditure. So and maybe we were just a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Um, but our, our big challenge was how do we understand like the supply chain? How do we go through and audit that? And if you know, someone's signing up to a BT broadband, why, why or is that better than signing up to another provider's broadband? We didn't feel we could get there yet, and this was you know three, four, five years ago. Feels like we're starting to, to at least maneuver towards that conversation, but that was our big challenge. And now it's very much okay. We need to, um, you know, support a business case, right, for someone like a Sky or a BT or a, whoever the merchant is to to start to build this infrastructure out or to work with us to do so. Um, but what kind of challenges is is Salesforce facing? Um, navigating this kind of fintech ecosystem there's so many things going on there's the actual tech you've got to build the value props behind it the compliance the commercials timelines never fun mm. uh, what's the, are there any kind of ones that really stick out for you uh yeah keeping up with it all is probably the, the number <laughs> yeah, one challenge um what would i say i think um look i think i i think we've we, we, we built this uh, fintech team in 2020 because we just saw this space exploding. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the, num the numbers around it are phenomenal. I think uh, it, there's been about $40 billion of investment in UK fintech now since the global financial crisis. Yeah. Um, there are about 1,600 fintechs in the UK today, and that's expected to double um, by the end of the decade. And... Just trying, to, just trying to understand which categories were going to be um, successful and make sure that we had uh, a kind of relevant proposition and um, around that. So then you end up really looking at kind of 10 or 12 sub-industries within it, mm -hmm. right? So you've got um, digital banking and alternative lending and crypto and sure tech, wealth tech, robo, uh, payments, obviously. So there's a, a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, and I think, you know, genuinely, it's just trying to keep keep up with um, the kind of latest trends and what's emerging, and how do we support those different businesses in different in, in, in slightly different ways. Yeah. Um, but it's hugely exciting. It's hugely <laughs> exciting. So yeah. Juggling. Right? Juggling. A yeah. lot of juggling. Sixteen hundred fintechs in the UK. I didn't mm. know that. Um, and doubling. So yeah. The question that springs to mind out of that is like, who owns? The customer at the end of the day, I think we—that's where AppTap turned into more of a B two B player—is because we felt that the bank was better positioned to own that consumer relationship. But going to you know merchants on the other side of the table and saying actually the bank should own this relationship isn't always an easy conversation. So is there any um, you know how have you seen let's say e commerce and fintech evolving side by side? Are they? I mean, is is it 
an arms race or is there kind of more of a symbiotic relationship? Yeah, I, so I, I, think it's, um, I think it's symbiotic. So one of the um, products within the Salesforce platform is Commerce Cloud. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so that we, we effectively run the e-commerce experience for some of the world's largest brands. And you know, companies like Adidas or Boohoo that are doing that globally in, in, in massive volumes and then also luxury brands like Fennec and De Beers um, and everything in between. Mm. And we can't go live on a commerce implementation until um, the payment rails are in place. So we've got an app exchange or an ecosystem of different payments providers and we have to work with the customer to choose um, the most appropriate one. So we'll work with the online payments PSP providers like Stripe and Adyen and Checkout. Um, we have all the BNPL options of Firm and Klarna, um, go cardless for recurring payments. And uh, you know where, where, where we're going next with it, and you'll see some announcements next week at, uh, at Dreamforce, depending on when this goes live, um, <laughs> uh, around Salesforce payments. So we're actually gonna build um, a layer of capability on the platform to um, basically embed some of those partners deeper so that we are that so they're better integrated and and, um, and retailers or, or e-commerce providers can get up and running faster but also we'll start to embed some payments capability across all of our other uh, products as well so that um, payments data from any source whether it's online or in store or, um, or or whatever can be collated around that customer record because once you start to bring payments data together with all the existing data you have around a customer, you can really get under the skin of their behaviours um, and drive better personalization, which is obviously a key key yeah. kind of goal for Salesforce. This is ex exactly what we're trying to bring back to, to merchants and say that we can help you optimise products and services and pricing, do that in real time. Um, maybe we should have a conversation, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um, Perfect. Well, appreciative of time. Um, we've talked to loads of people. Uh, we're talking about it before this. We've had people from challengers. We've had banks in. We've had the regulator. Um, all of them have similar but slightly different answers about kind of what gets them so excited about open banking. We've talked a, lo a lot about various different kind of moving pieces. What is it for you that you're like, this is fucking great. This is super cool. I'm going to get yeah, this is what I see. Yeah, so like I think... Don't say AppTap. Well, definitely AppTap, <laughs> number one. Uh, but like I think just, just thinking like really, really big picture, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face as a society uh, is, 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 is it's around inequality. Mm. And, you know, that has got progressively worse over the last 40, 50 years. And um, there are, you know, one in four households in the UK are financially excluded, which is to say they have like, you know, less than £100 in savings or would really struggle to make ends meet if they, after a month of uh, unemployment. Mm -hmm. And whilst there's a debate going on around has open banking delivered yet and, um, you know, ha have the costs been worth it and all that stuff, I think it's absolutely essential that we do this, right? We want to open up the playing field and tear down the barriers that have kind of existed for, for years around being able to offer financial services. We want, um, you know, that, that data can be used to build more accurate credit scores, um, to make better lending and credit decisions, um, to fine tune and personalize, you know, different products uh, to help 
consumers out in their, in their time of need. And I think we're, we, you know, we're kind of at a point where that's going to be you know, hugely important over the next couple of years. So um, that's, what, that's what gets me excited. We don't know where this is all going to head, but we've basically create, created open banking. We've created this uh, platform, if you like, for any, any new entrepreneur like yourself to build a business model around it mm. and um, go and make a difference in society. I think it's hugely exciting. Well, we're trying. Um, <laughs> but does it matter for a consumer, right, all of these new products that are hopefully going to help me out or might even expose me in some regards. We had um, someone on the other day who was talking about how credit risk decisioning changes, whether it's actually, you know, it's, it was talk, talking to the team at Experian around how credit risk decisioning um, changes based on whether that's, you know, here's six months of my transactional history or here's access to open banking real time, you know, two years of history or employment records or whatever. Um, my question being, what does it matter or does it matter at all whether or not a consumer knows kind of how that's all happening or is it just what they get out of it at the end of the day? Yeah, uh, so I think we need to, uh, so I think I have two, two, two points of view. I think firstly, um, consumers don't need to know uh, the jargon, right? Mm. So they shouldn't care that we've created this, you know, the industry has created this thing called open banking. Um, but what I do think is really important is they understand what they're consenting to when they when they open up their data, and um, you know, one of the what are the benefits associated with that? What what is that going to help them to do? Mm. And um, and why is there consent around it? And what happens every ninety days and all that sort of thing? So um, I think yeah, like with all these things, like a bit of education so people know what they're getting themselves into. But let's not overdo it with a whole bunch of you know financial services jargon that's going to confuse. Yeah. People. I guess the line there is like education versus automation. How much can you automate for a consumer until they just have no idea what's happening? And, it, and for us, it's at that point where we're saying, well, this is what's happening, why it's happening, and what you need to do next. Here's, here are the tools to do so. But yeah. I think that's the challenge that we've found. I mean, we've gotten to a point where, sure, we could switch your, well, I was going to say energy. We could switch something for you in one click, but does the user actually understand why that's happening? what they're getting out of it. Usually not, it's almost too much, too soon, too yeah. fast. Um, so and I think, kind of tried to zoom out a little bit. Yeah, and I think that you have to be really thoughtful around that, right? Because uh, different people of a different demographic will be more or less comfortable yeah. or have a, like a, you know, my, my, my whiz kid cousin who's like nine years old would get it like, cool, in, 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 in 30 seconds, yeah. like let's crack on. And then those that are um, less technology literate, um, are more likely to make a mistake and they need to be yeah. really guided through the journey. Well, that's where it's about personalization, right? And unfortunately, I've got kind of 10 years or so to wait until your cousin is <laughs> managing his bills and subscriptions through AppTap, I'm sure. Um, Don't worry, he knows about it. He knows yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> You've kind of alluded to your answer already um, throughout this, but open banking today, right now, success or failure? Success. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Love it. Resounding success. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I'll be political about it and go halfway. Success? No, I think so. I think so. Um, you know, I, look, I think I think there's look, there's more there's more to do, but we're um, we're we're at the, we're part way through a journey here. But there are um, already use cases that are adding value, and there are already business businesses that have been able to create business models off the back of it. Mm -hmm. So that's success. Not not every not not every company has yet figured out how they're going to really leverage it and um, 
make it successful for them. But I think overall, yeah. there's loads of loads of positive to point point towards. That's what Salesforce is there to do. I'm sure <laughs> to help them hold the hand along that journey. Absolutely. Um, so what comes next for you? What comes next for Salesforce? Um, anything you want to plug or direct people to? Now is the opportunity. Yeah. Well, um, look, we uh, we've done a lot to try and build the fintech. Uh, ecosystem in the UK. Um, so we're going to be planning some events between now and the end of the year. Great. Um, we, we recently did one in June actually, which was like um, the, the future of payments, which we ran on the Ohana floor, Salesforce Tower. We had about 200 um, kind of executives and founders from across fintech uh, attend that and I, I saw, yeah. saw you at the back <laughs> had a good time <laughs> um, and so we look we want to do more of that we want to bring the ecosystem together so we have our big corporate thing in um, in San Francisco which is next week that's the uh, starts on the 22nd of um, September um, for three days and uh, fintech will be represented there um, and we'll do some some sort of publicity around that but then there'll be some very very much some UK things focused towards the end of the year as well okay how about you up to anything specific that you can tell us or is it uh plugging away plugging away i will be so i'll be on stage with um Jai, jaidev uh jana durana who's the cool. ceo of zopa at dreamforce and we'll be talking about um financial inclusion and he's got some big announcements to make around that okay. and um, there'll be several sessions with uh, the team from revolut as well talking about their success with um, salesforce and uh, and where that happens next uh, what and where that goes next and um, plenty more on top. Very good. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thank you for Thanks coming Thanks for down. having me. Really appreciate taking the time out. And yeah. uh, this is another episode of FinTech Walkabout. Join us on the next one. Nice one, man. Nice one, man. Thank you. Was that awesome. So what's next? What comes next for Salesforce? What are you up to? What, Perfect. You know. Yeah. Um, well, big... Um, Big session next week. We've got our global customer conference, Dreamforce, that starts on September the 20th uh, for three days in San Francisco. So I'll be there with the team. Uh, I'm on stage with Jaidev Janaduranda, uh, who's the CEO of Zopa. We'll be talking about financial inclusion, um, and he has some big announcements to make around that. Um, we've also got a number of the team from uh, Revolut, including Matt Acton Davis, who's their uh, VP of sales. So they'll be talking a little bit about um, their partnership with Salesforce and the success that they've been having so far. Um, and much, much more on the agenda, including a, um, a concert with Red Hot Chili Peppers on the oh, final night, which would be fun. Nice. Um, and then beyond that, we are... What are they using Salesforce for? <laughs> <laughs> Selling tickets, yeah. I, I assume. Uh, and then beyond that, between now and the end of the year, we'll be really trying to double down on our UK fintech community. You, you were obviously at our last event in June, which was um, uh, 200... Uh, executives and founders across UK fintech uh, at, on the Ohana floor at Salesforce Tower and we talked about the future of payments um, so we want to do you know a couple more community things in the UK between now and the end of the year nothing planned yet but watch this space Wicked. and um, if people want to follow me on LinkedIn I'll be uh, well I guess we'll be sharing a recording of this and um, and also um, publishing any any kind of updates around key events and things like that Perfect. Well, Ryan, a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you, everyone else, for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Fintech Walkabout.